I cannot do what only the Good Shepherd can. What wakes me up is just feeling like, how, how do I hold the church together? And then having to preach the gospel to myself. Nothing to lose, nothing to prove. My life is Christ, nothing else matters. Hello, friends. It's Jaden here. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode on the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. Today, we have the privilege of hearing from a good friend of Jason's, Evan Wickham, a pastor and worship leader from beautiful Southern California. Evan was born and raised in San Diego, where he, his wife Sandy, and their five kids are still living and serving today. Sandy and Evan co-lead pastor Park Hill Church, which they planted together in 2017. And in addition to leading a church, Evan is an incredible worship leader who cares deeply about ushering people into encounters with Jesus. In this conversation, Jason and Evan hit a number of themes, including Evan's personal story of deconstruction and reconstruction, and the postures and environments that led him to uncovering a deeper faith in Jesus. Jason and Evan also discuss what they refer to as compassionate and courageous orthodoxy, unpacking what it means to live in this tension of standing on the core of God's truth while creating spaces for honest conversations where people are at. And along those lines, Evan has great thinking on what it looks like to engage in meaningful dialogue with those who disagree with you, not shying away from the bigger, more difficult questions while also remaining curious about those you're in conversation with. All in all, Evan is full of faith and full of courage throughout the conversation, and we hope those qualities are contagious for you as you listen in. Now, in a moment, we'll jump in with Evan and Jason, but before we do, here's a word from our friends at the Canadian Bible Society. I want to thank our friends at the Canadian Bible Society who make this episode possible. We want to highlight a resource they developed called the Bible Course, a course that was created to help the average person engage with God's Word in a deeper way. The Bible course includes eight weeks of video teaching that are all designed to connect the events, books, and characters of Scripture together into one big story. This course can easily be run in small groups and even as a great follow-up to something like Alpha if you're running that. To check out the first video for free and to learn more about the course, just head to biblesociety.ca slash thebiblecourse and you'll find all you need. That's biblesociety.ca slash the Bible course. Well, Evan, it is such a joy to be with you today. Thanks for making time to hang out on our podcast. Tell us about life today in sunny San Diego. Oh, man. First of all, thank you. Uh, it is an honor to be invited into the Canadian space. I have I have questions about Vancouver. Maybe we'll get to those. But um, yeah, San Diego is is sunny right now. I'm looking outside the window, and it is you know big blue seventy two. That whole thing in the beginning of October. But um, but yeah, church planning is is uh, an ongoing highs and lows. And my wife and I have been doing it for six years. We have a lot of kids. We have five kids who are five kids. Hit us with their names. Top to bottom. Gavin is 21 and he is a budding independent hip hop artist. Gavin Wickham. Um, Look it up. Shameless nepotistic plug right there. (laughs) (laughs) But, but, uh, and then 18 year old Jaden, who's actually um, in a serious long distance relationship with a, a Canadian girl. 
Wow. Um, well, I think she's technically a citizen of S- Scotland and the U.S., I think, with Canadian parents. So, um, yeah, that that's awesome. My son, Jaden, is doing very well. And then 15-year-old boy who just wants to be a baker. Come on. Uh, and then a 10-year-old girl. She's our only girl. And she is feisty and loves asking esoteric questions about reality and whether we're in a digital matrix and whether the Bible was invented by the government. Those are the conversations I have with my 10-year-old. <laughs> my my 10-year-old is asking similar questions. Like It's like nighttime and he's like, like but what does it mean to be alive? Exactly. Like, <laughs> it's so fun. I'm like, oh, that's amazing. What made you think that? Yeah, yeah. Like, well, and- I was eating peanut butter and... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or like Bible, it's always like, yeah, but how do we know that someone didn't just write this whole thing? You know, I'm like, that, you're, that was her you're last question. Great questions. <laughs> yeah. It was specifically, she wanted to pin it on the government. She's like, I didn't know this isn't a government ploy. Um, oh, that's, that's, uh, that, that's, that's residue from 2020 in America left over mm-hmm. on her. But, mm-hmm. um, and then, and then uh, eight year old, River, who actually has pneumonia right now, which is oh, very sad. Oh, I'm so sad. sorry. So sorry. But, but he, yeah, he, we got him diagnosed yesterday and we have him on antibiotics. So he should be on the mend this week. Oh, uh, poor buddy. But yeah, he's coughing like a 78-year-old chain smoker. Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> well, I appreciate you making time with all of your kids and a church plant and all going on to be with us. Yeah. Um, I'd love to hear more about Park Hill. Like if what, one of the things I love about Park Hill Church is like, it'd be hard to peg it in one sort of stream. You know what I mean? Like very Mm. charismatic worship, like, you know, hosting, making room for the presence of God, extended worship, spontaneous. So there's this charismatic element and then just a high view of like teaching the word, like lots of expositions, high view of scripture. There's an emphasis on community. There's like the nuance of like context. You're like wrestling with the questions on the ground. And I just love Park Hill because it feels like this uh, like collision of lots of different streams without it feeling mm. like a conflict. It's like, it's so embodied by you and your team. And I just love to hear a bit more about, you know, the Park Hill story and, and the culture that you guys are cultivating there. Mm. Yeah. Uh, thanks for asking. I um, I don't know. It's beautiful to see so many um yeah, so many people from high church backgrounds finding their home in our church and making the sign of the cross at weekly communion because they're cradle Catholics and finding just so much resonance. And, you know, Calvary Chapel, you know, you know, full-on non-denominational Bible church, baby boomers and their kids finding a home in our church as well, just total yeah. low church. And finding this middle church, maybe? Middle church? I've never heard of that, but maybe that's what we are, uh, like Middle Earth. <laughs> but um but yeah we i i i don't know I, I some of our elders one of our elders just graduated westminster theological seminary which is like the presbyterian um factory pastor factory and so he is a historical theology major and just knows what happened at all the ecumenical councils and reminds mm. me when i'm speaking heresy and <laughs> and so there's like a deep and he's you know even in our elders there's like a difference of opinion on you know credo baptism versus pedo baptism should we baptize infants or do we baptize people who make a credible profession of faith and it's an ongoing conversation and wow. we we find a way to work through both 
in our church. It's there's definitely some mutt like qualities to our church that we enjoy and creates hopefully all the right tensions. And um, but yeah, high value for hosting the presence of God. Like I actually think that's if I were to describe the purpose of the church in my own kind of words to try to catch it all together, it'd be, you know, to host the presence of God on earth and mm. until he returns. Uh, until the whole earth is covered by the knowledge of God, like the waters cover the sea and the prophet's dream. Um, but yeah, we host the presence of God. And that's not just through worship. That's through going with God's presence and justice and generosity and hospitality and all that. So we just try to emphasize these things, been highly, highly influenced, obviously, by um, the Portland family of churches. John Mark Comer and I were friends in our 20s, and then our wives met shortly thereafter. And he has influenced me. I mean... I can't tell you how many times I've got like the, and this is great. I'm not, I don't think this is a bad thing necessarily, but like so many times people have, you know, listened to my sermons or heard me preach and they're like, I close my eyes and I see John Mark. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, his cadence, his personality, his love for like turn of phrase has, Mm. I mean, I I was on his preaching teaching team for a while and um, as just fully immersed and formed, formed, you know, you know, that old saying, you have to imitate before you innovate. And so a lot of what might appear to be innovation at Park Hill is kind of seamlessly evolved out of the imitation from mm-hmm. so, from a lot of these relationships you and I share. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I love, I love that. Tell me a bit about um, the journey you went on, like, before planting the church. Like, where did that conviction come from? And what that look like for you and Sandy to kind of build that conviction and even just, you know, get to the point where you're like, we're doing this. Yeah. Well, S- Sandy's really the initiator on that um, in truth. So we, we both grew up Calvary Chapel, uh, which I, I know talk, is not talk to us what that means. in Canada. Yeah. Like, like in, in Canada, California. when I'm in Southern California, it's like Calvary Chapel. That's like, everyone knows what that is, but, that it's not really, um, I think like the, the only reference point that I hear people make a lot is that, that new movie that came out. That's right. What's that movie called? Yeah. I was going to ask if you guys have seen the Jesus revolution film. I can't speak for every Canadian pastor, but I think some have seen it. I haven't seen it yet, but I've seen enough trailers that I feel like I, like, I feel like I know it. Yeah. I I love, I love that Jesus, (laughs) uh, played Lonnie Frisbee. Like that's really (laughs) cool. Jonathan Rumi. Yeah, Jonathan yeah. Rumi from The Chosen. He played Lonnie Frisbee, who was a key player in the formation of the Jesus movement. And, you know, it's funny. Last weekend, I was with this uh, uh, Scott McKnight. I was with Scott McKnight last weekend at this Bible conference. And um, I he's been formative for me for a, almost two decades. And so I'm meeting him for the first time. Uh, being a speaker alongside him. And so I'm completely fanboying. Mm. Like, 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 no, I don't even know how to contain myself. And I'm supposed to like show up for this conference with him. And, uh, and I'm like, and he's like, what's your, what's your come from? Where'd you, where'd you kind of cut your teeth church wise? And I, I said, Calvary. He's like, is that, what is that? I'm like, have you seen the Jesus revolution film? He's like, you mean the chosen? Like what, what's Jesus revolution? I'm like, oh, you know, like Chuck Smith. He's like, is he that wacky, like rapture, dispensationalist, like fringe guy? I'm like, he was the epicenter of my world. Wow. <laughs> and so just talking to someone who's from a totally different, but also incredibly influent, I'm like, man, 
I thought my world was so big, hmm. um, uh, but it wasn't. <laughs> but it felt big. So Chuck Smith was my dad's yeah. boss. If you so, watched that movie, he's played yeah, by so Kelsey set, Grammer. Set from, the stage a little bit. Chuck Smith, you know, pioneers this this movement of churches that was explosive around Southern California and beyond. Right. And we're not; these are massive churches, you know, and. You were you born into that kind of environment, or give me set the stage there? Yep, yeah. So uh, my parents met in those early hippie Jesus movement bands, one of which you see in the movie. But my dad was touring with that band, and and met my mom as a lead singer in one of those bands. So music runs in the blood, and mm. so does worship ministry. And then I was born in 1981 at the tail end of the Jesus movement in Southern California. And then my brother was born in 84, who's a worship leader. Some of your listeners might recognize Phil Wickham and then my sister. And so the three of us grew up in like the comet tail of this, this Jesus movement thing. And, um, and so did my wife actually at a different Calvary chapel. Was, mm. uh, but anyways, yeah. So to reference the movie one last time. If you watch it, you will see a tent where the whole revival goes down. Yeah. And that tent is literally built on the field that was my soccer field and PE class and Bible class and church and private Christian school and karate class. So like <laughs> the tent goes down and you know, that old saying, a movement becomes a monument, hmm. uh, becomes a whatever. And so I, I think I was born right as the movement was becoming a a monolithic thing. And so the mm. tent goes down, the building goes, the mega church goes up mm. and that's what I grew up in. Wow. Um, and it was great. Like Bible verse memorization was all I knew and private Christian school is all I knew. And um, I, I was protected in a lot of ways, in good ways. And also, you know, there were things I had to unlearn, not any central gospel things, but things like, you know, having to believe that the earth was extremely young in order to be a faithful Christian. That was mm. part of my tribe's thing. And then a certain kind of end of the world eschatology was my tribe's thing as well. And so seeing, oh, the body of Christ has bigger and more diverse takes on those things. Yeah. But I got firmer. I got firmer on this, this Christological center. Um, as, as my wife and I grew and started doing you know, worship ministry abroad and partnering with the amazing folks over at, you know, Holy Trinity Brompton and Worship Central and meeting people abroad outside of my bubble. Mm. It was like, oh my gosh, the body of Christ is gorgeous. She's gorgeous and she's mm. huge. <laughs> and she's uh, committed to these ancient core um, doctrines is, is one way to call orthodoxy this the church is committed to this long standing tradition, capital T, of how to talk about what the heck happened when God became flesh. Hmm. Like when God becomes flesh and now we behold his glory in the sun, like God through the womb of Mary birthed a kingdom. Hmm. And, and it was this Christ event and now 2.56 billion siblings in Christ all over the world are conf talking about it in mm. with similar words. And, and I'm like, oh, this is so much bigger than my 1400 local parish, non-denominational affiliate Calvary Chapel thing. Uh, this is like 
billions and what unites us and what is non-essential and what does unity look like? And I started being obsessed with, with those questions, which is probably why Park Hill is kind of a mutt. Hmm. Um, but yeah. And, and so that led us to find a, a new healthy space to rebuild kind of hmm. our, our mental map of what it meant to do church. And that was the Portland family of churches through whom I met you, Jason and, and, and others. So that's one way to tell the story. Hmm. I've heard you express before that there was, and you hinted at this, there was like a journey of unraveling some of the old mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. order to come out the other side with not a whole new, but like a refined or more confident uh, or maybe even, I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I, you know, you've described it, whether it was like a crisis of faith or like just a, a safe place to do some unraveling. Can you talk a bit about that? that season, mm -hmm. like, you're, you know, whether that was probably leading up to going to Portland and then being in a healthy church and being able to ask and wrestle with some of your deep yeah. questions. Yeah, man, this is one of my passion points for me, just to talk about this with other people. You know, I've, I've met a, more than I'd like to, more than I, more than I wish I've met leaders who have, um, I don't know how to, I, I want to honor their process, but they've deconstructed in ways that I don't, I think, I think there's ways to deconstruct so well, unravel things well, and it takes a community to unravel well. It takes honest doubt as opposed to dishonest doubt. And I know that sounds like an accusation, but I do think there's a difference. Hmm. Honest doubt is like hunger that looks for food. Like when you're, when you're hungry, you want real food. Um, and honest doubt is like these hunger pains that lead you to substantial answers. And when you get those answers, you feel satisfied. Hmm. That's honest doubt. When you're like, oh, this is what I'm looking for. But, but dishonest doubt is you're not looking. I, and I've experienced this where I'm, I, I receive what I think would be satisfactory answers, but I'm not satisfied because what I'm really looking for is not answers, but exits. Hmm. Um. And if that's happening to me, I need a community around me to ask me a deeper problem like, hey, how how is your soul and why are you angry? <laughs> I need a community in that moment. And I, so rewind to 2010, 2011, where, you know, I'm hearing just that the I'm hearing that the body of Christ is bigger and more beautiful than the bubble that I was handed. But the bubble had beautiful things, too. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm dishonoring the bubble. I'm dishonoring my parents, I'm dishonoring the church that fed me because I'm starting to see it's bigger. Hmm. And uh, and so I, I turned to Facebook. <laughs> American Evangelical Facebook is a horrible place to deconstruct. Uh-oh. Uh -oh. And and so I just started airing my grievances in in the in the late to, mid to late 2000s, saying just really you know on the really thoughtless things about other pastors who are just trying to do their best, but maybe only know one way. And it didn't take long for me, for my community to come around and say, Hey, what's you're changing. What's going on. I'm like, Oh hmm. shoot. Like this is not the fruit of the spirit. If love is patient and kind, then I'm not loving. So I need to, I need to change. And, and what I wanted to do, I'm like, my wife, my wife and I were like, we want to plant a community. We want to be part of a community that does it differently. Hmm. But I also knew at that time, 2008, 2009, 
if we planted a church in that level of unhealth, we would have planted an unhealthy church that would have been um, a reactionary community, fun, like yeah. founded in reaction, and yeah. therefore w- would have reacted against me. Hmm. You know, it's uh, yeah. So, so we decided to submit to submit to a new community, and that's when we moved to Portland. And that's when the Comers, not just John Mark, but his parents became kind of like spiritual father and mother to me and Sandy. And they said, hey, come here three to five years, process with us. We trust you to even sit as an elder in submission to one another with us. We'll send you to seminary, lead our people in worship. And then at three to five years, we'll see how you're at. And then we'll we'll plant you back. We'll plant you wow. back in San Diego. Hmm. And they trusted. They like trusted that <laughs> that we'd be ready at the time. And and there was a moment in seminary that was kind of a watershed for me where I was taking this class called Church and Mission. Uh, my professor was Patrick Schreiner, uh, who some of your listeners might know, son of Tom Schreiner, you know, you know, just a family of Baptist theologians from, from the East Coast. And Patrick was so kind to me, even though mm. we saw things differently. And uh, we saw most things the same, actually. And he emphasized those things with love. And he brought his pastor. He brought his pastor. They had a church plant of 30 people in Southeast Portland. And he brought his pastor in to talk for one hour in our church and mission class. And he gave the do's and don'ts of church planting. Mm-hmm. And I forget the do's. Forget them. Uh, <laughs> but I remember the number one don't, because mm-hmm. this was the watershed for me. Don't plant a church because you're going to get it right where everyone else got it wrong for you. Mm-hmm. And he said two reasons, because number one, by doing that, you're giving the good shepherd the middle finger because you're saying he sucks at building his church. Hmm. And number two, uh, you're creating the kind of community that will ultimately turn on you and cannibalize itself because that is the impetus. And I'm like, oh, this makes so much sense. This is me right now, Lord. I repent. <laughs> I repent. I turn. I want to, I, I don't, he's like, don't, don't do kingdom work. Don't like set out to do kingdom work in re, in reaction to human failure alone. Mm. Uh, yes, we will do that. And we need to do that honestly, but primarily make sure you're doing kingdom work, not in reaction to human failure, but in response to God's faithfulness. Mm. Where have you seen his faithfulness? Lead with that. Um, and so I, that right there was like the heart turned for me where I had to choose it. I had to like choose to celebrate God's faithfulness as my leading edge. Hmm. Otherwise, I'd just be a provocateur, hothead, pundit, podcaster guy. And, and uh, nobody wants that. Well, some people seem to want it, but <laughs> we just, it, the jury's out on the impact it's making, you know? Yeah, that's true. So hopefully that was, hopefully that made sense. I, it's a, it's a passion point for me. Like I said, mm. I love that. I'd love to, yeah, I, I, I want to turn this into a Jason interview. I'd love to hear your, no, I won't let that happen. Like 15, like 15 years ago, what was the biggest change for you from then to now kind of thing, but. I think I resonate with your story. I think I, um, I, uh, I thought I wanted to plant a church at 25 or lead a church. And I'm just so thankful. And, and I think that there's no, nothing particularly wrong with that age, just where I was at, at the time. 
I thought I had more answers than I had. Mm. I was rallying around what I thought was wrong. And um, by God's grace um, and a variety of influences, the timeline shifted. And um, I think it, I think it, it, you know, for us as we planted and it's about what we're for and about like a really deep love and admiration for other churches and other communities. Um, and I'm just really thankful for that because I don't know that I could have done it with the same integrity at 25, just where I, my immaturity was at, couldn't see what I didn't know. Um, I even, even just think about like right now, I know that one of the critiques from my generation and, and younger of the church would be um, like lack of emphasis on community, not an unhealthy, com- like not good community. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that reaction is, we're going to plant a church where everyone belongs, where no one's forgotten. And, mm. and, and that's compelling. People are like, I want to be part of that. Let's build that. And then what ends up happening is a bunch of humans who forget birthdays mm. and, and end up talking and end up gossiping because it happens. It happens. Mm. And then all of a sudden, if you stood for what we're not and you become that thing, you kind of die on that sword. Um, mm. And I just, I see that happen a lot. I see that, that potential in me and others, you know, so... That's so good, man. I really admire some of the work you're doing at Park Hill. And I noticed some of the things you're up to. And I just wanted to kind of like lean into a couple of them. One is you're doing, I think if I understand it right, a monthly gathering called House of Learning. That's right. Can you tell me a bit about that? Because I just think it's like, it's such a beautiful response to the city that you've been called to, but it reflects a lot of the kind of questions and wrestlings that I know a lot of our listeners would also be have. So tell us a bit about the format, but also pastorally why you went after this thing. Yeah. So the the title House of Learning, it it came from, you know, the Portland family of churches that planted us, but they did it differently. They, it was more like a Sunday school uh, where they teach you basic essentials of the faith, which is great. And I think that's what we do as well, but we, f- we frame it more like street theology and ethics. So once a month, last Sunday night of every month, except during the summer, we took a break and Christmas. So like nine months out of the year, we'll do nine seminars with a a amazing meal together for like half an hour and then two and a half hours we'll just transition to a deep dive into a topic so january was um it was we had chris nye who's now the lead pastor he just got installed at imago day community church in portland he wrote the book a captive mind hmm. and he was in my cohort under gary Bashir's at western and he's just an incredible thought leader and he he wrote this book called a captive mind and so the night was um captive mind versus mind of christ and, and it was about basically how to discern as a community, this, it, this set the pace for the whole year. So how to discern as a community, wait a minute, am I branded by Babylon's partisan ideological politicking right now? Like, is my mind being co-opted by the right or the left as evidenced by seeing people as primarily issues instead of primarily people? <laughs> so... Um, how, like, why am I getting so angry when I see a Trump supporter waving a red, or why am I getting so angry when I see a Black Lives Matter flag? Like these, these, these different things happening that that spark our minds because of the ideology we've absorbed that causes us to see people not as people primarily, but issues to be mm. against. And so, how do we get out of that spectrum? onto the kingdom frequency of Jesus, who transcends, he's the king of kings. 
And he, Jesus has his politics. They're just not easily reconcilable with the politics of a militaristic economic superpower like America. <laughs> so um, how do we talk about that as a church and how do we get there? And so that was the first seminar and that really set the pace for the whole year. Hmm. February was race. We brought Brian Loritz to talk about, you know, really intense questions around being a racially aware church and then orphan care uh, in March was a big one. And it's really, we take a question that's controversial or that's meaningful to a lot of people. That's really mm. the synonym. Like hot topics are only controversial because they matter to so many of us at once, I believe. Bro, that, that reframe is so important. I've just, I think it's something that really guides your unique ability to enter into these conversations. But to say something's controversial because it's m deeply meaningful Come on. Yes. to people at least puts us on a different footing to start the conversation. This matters deeply to this person, or it's either touching on a passion, um, a love or a fear, you know, mm. and all of that surrounds that deeply meaningful. And I just found like, and I think I've just learned that from you because you just enter into these conversations so courageously and so kindly to others. Um, but I think that's an important reframe that you just made. Yeah, I, yeah, I think it is. I, I forget who I heard it from. It might've been, um, Oh, I forget his name. Saul, Scott Sauls. Hmm. Scott Sauls, a pastor back east. Um, I mean, he's one of those guys. I try to be crit. I try to have my thinking cap on when I read books and listen to people. And I'm mostly scared when I hear something, when I hear a person talk and everything they say resonates with me. I'm like, am I not thinking critically enough? Because this person's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I feel like that about Scott Sauls. Um, and he, I think he said that. And he just broke it down so simply. So yeah, we we hit, you know, deconstruction was a topic of April. And then in May, it was forgiveness, like how to be mm. a forgiveness culture versus a cancel culture. And what does it look like for the church to be like, kind of like fearless forgiveness? Wow. When, when abusers do need to reckon with their abuse and justice needs to be done, absolutely. And yet... How does the church lead the way in forgiveness when forgiveness is insanely unpopular? Hmm. Uh, so that was one, and uh, and then and then J July and August, July through August, we're off. No, July, June, and July were off, and then August was disability in the church. Okay, like disability was a big one for August. That was our focus, and one of our pastors who's disabled, she uh, she did the keynote, and man. You know, most most disabilities are unseen, and and hers is profound and unseen. Hmm. Like she'll have, she's just had undiagnosable seizures that leave her unable to talk or function for a, a couple of days, and 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 she serves as a pastor with that, never knowing when it'll hit. And it was a beautiful story of her just never getting the right diagnosis. They, the doctor still can't figure it out. And that unknown, unseen suffering of so mm. many in the church, whether it's a mental disability or a physical one or a, or a physical mental and they can't diagnose, it's just like, God, where are you? Like, God, I I cry out to a silent God. Mm. And uh, and just naming that for our church was a beautiful moment. And then and then the most recent one was on sexuality, and it was titled How Our Church Cares About Sexuality. And that was by far the most attended night. Um, and, and I understand why 
I mean, we we know and love so many or are people who experience our sexuality in ways that are not normative uh, and, and not the one that's mostly platformed in church. And so what does that mean for faithfulness to the way of Jesus? And how do we create that conversation with a shame, with shamelessly create that? Like, like coming unhidden should be step one in the confessional life of following Jesus. You know, like coming unhidden is part of the practice of confession. And so mm. what would that look like for people who've just been cast out of church after church for coming unhidden, you know? Um, and so we, we had that conversation last Sunday, two, two Sundays ago. Uh, hopefully that was the beginning of the conversation. It mm. doesn't end there, but yeah, thanks for asking. That's, those have been, those have been big for us. Um, and the goal isn't just to talk about them. The goal is to run it through the lens of the gospel, obviously. What have you learned through this? I mean, you invite your church into a conversation that's meaningful, variety of viewpoints. Some, some mm-hmm. of these topics, very, very like hot in culture. Um, what have you learned through the experience of doing this? Um, that I, that only Jesus can hold the church. I cannot do what only the good shepherd can. You know, what wakes me up and literally did the last couple of days, what, what has waked me up, you know, awakened me at 3 a.m. in the morning, the last several nights in a row is just feeling like how how do I hold the church together? And then having to preach the gospel to myself. Um, like I have nothing, I have nothing to lose, nothing to prove. My life is Christ. Nothing else matters. Hmm. Nothing to lose, nothing to prove. My life is Christ. Nothing else matters. And Jason, we go, you and I, and like eight other guys, 10 other guys get away once a year to pray and prophesy over each other and to eat food and weep together. And, and at one of these, I think at one of these, I think it was the year before you joined, maybe it was, yeah. The speaker that we brought in, um, he, he had a prophetic word that he shared with me that has, I've just, I've clung to it ever since. And he just said, Evan, I, I get the sense that you're uniquely called to take a lot of hits hmm. and, and the picture I get, the word picture I get for you, maybe it's the spirit, maybe it's just the pizza I had after going to the movies because it's a Marvel movie picture <laughs> and it's Iron Man, it's Tony Stark sinking back into the nanotech suit. And you are in Christ. Tony Stark can't take the hits. Iron Man can't. He's designed. He's like, hmm. he's designed to take the hits. And as long as you lean back into the identity you are in Christ, Christ is in you, which is the is the content of the hope of glory. You have hope mm. of glory because Christ is in you, and you have the love of the Father because you're in Christ. Nothing else matters. Of course, money matters, church attendance matters to the degree that they matter. These things matter relatively, but relatively, nothing matters Hmm. compared to nothing to lose, nothing to prove. My life is Christ. Nothing else matters. If I don't preach that and sit in that for, um, 
consistently, intentionally, then I spin out. Mm. I'm an anagram seven. I want people to like me. I want people to feel okay at church. I want people to feel like they, everyone belongs. Yeah. (laughs) And I can't, I can't do what only the good shepherd can. I can't. Hmm. And I want that to free me instead of freak me out. Yeah. <laughs> so that's I mean, why. Evan, I've just, it's, it's interesting here because I've experienced you as somebody who pretty courageously um, champions the Christian faith, um, engages in healthy debate and conversation, even on Twitter, in person. Like I've just seen you as somebody being like, let's have this conversation. You do it so graciously, but mm. you, there is a sense of like, you know, sometimes we talk with this idea of like courageous fidelity to orthodoxy. Like I'm gonna be courageous when I, as I hold firm to like the truth of God's word. And, um, but also I think, you know, some of the, the language I'd say you embody is compassionate and courageous. And I'd just love for you to reflect on that idea of a compassionate and courageous fidelity to orthodoxy. What does that mean to you? Yeah. One of the lead, my quick answer is uh, one of the, one of the leading phrases for me all lead through, through my entire church plant process has been, you know, that phrase from Brene Brown, who I don't know a lot of her work, but this phrase is amazing where clear is kind unclear is unkind and i've made the mistake of being the kindest jerk Hmm. (laughs) because i've because i've um i've pushed ambiguity in hopes of just kicking the can down the street just kicking the can we're figuring out we're working through it but meanwhile you know just stay the course or someone someone calls in uh, to the church and ask for our position on whatever doctrine or ethic. And, and I'll be like, and I used to, I used to say, you know, just for those tender questions, you have to meet over coffee with a pastor. We'd love to meet with you. We want those in person. And most of the time people are like, Oh, I already know the answer. I'm not meeting with you (laughs) because I'm like (laughs) pushing this ambiguous. No. And I, I don't want to be sold on a doctrine by a pastor over coffee. I just want to know what you believe. <laughs> so, uh, so for me, clear is kind, unclear is unkind has just, no matter where people land on the spectrum of belief, they appreciate that. And it creates true safety and trust. And I use safety as a synonym for security. Like, oh, I feel secure. I feel like I'm not being bait and switched by this leader. Um, because I've, I've been told everything up front and that actually translates as compassion. People Mm. experience that as compassion. They really do. They're like, thank, that's so kind. I feel so honored as a, as an individual that you would sit with, sit with a class for three hours before we enter a community group in your church. And you would just say, here is everything we believe as a church and you can ask any question anonymously with your little text in phone app. You can keep your identity secret and ask a really intense question and put us on the spot. Please put us on the spot. And 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 people are like, oh my gosh, I've never been part of a church that that creates a, in a room like that. They're like crying, even though they disagree, they're crying with gratitude, like, thank you. Hmm. Um, and I don't know, I think we believe this, really, It's a, I think it's a lie. I think 
to risk using really harsh language. I think it's a lie that if if people know, if people have everything up front, if we're super clear, then, you know, it'll ruin the church or it'll ruin relationships or something. And there is a way to be a, a very unkind truth teller. And we don't want that. And I don't, I think most, most pastors I know our age and our circle, most pastors I know are not in danger of being really un, uh, unkind street preachers with bullhorns. You know, most of us are like, how do I communicate this in a way that's understood as love? Hmm. And I actually, I actually think people feel so, I, I don't just think all my anecdotal experience, all of it has been consistently people experiencing that clarity, complete unhidden clarity as honor. Hmm. Um, and we recently, our last, our last class we did, someone said, thank you for that. And I formally rescind my application to join a community group because I disagree. And I really appreciate the opportunity to do so at this point, you know, instead of eight months down the road, hmm. once relationships are already built. So, and, and I, and I followed that email up with, man, thank you. That is what, that is what the clarity is for. And in our church, you don't have to agree on every point to join a community you do to lead. But if you want to just sit in the tension in community for as long as you need, not knowing where you land, this is the, where else are you going to do that but the church? Hmm. And so we create that space too. Um, and I'm like, if you want to sit there, that's that we we would love that. And I sent him that email. Haven't heard back, but it's not easy. But I think it's interpreted as honor. Um, yeah. So so much more I could say, but. I don't know. Like, I'd I'd love to hear how you how you guys do that. Like, where do you find that balance between courage and compassion? And I think it's it's um. I believe deeply that God's not in conflict in Himself. Like, um, mm. you know, grace and truth aren't like two equal and opposite forces in the heart of God that are counterbalanced mm. but they're they're in like harmony with one another and flow from the same loving heart of god um so i believe that mm. to be true ultimately I, I don't know that my experience has always felt like how you describe like i think and it might just be my own i think that clarity is kindness i believe deeply is deeply true um but in an effort to be clear and the limitate like to, to and to have brevity on some issues like mm. sexuality and marriage, um, um, advocacy for the unborn. It's like, I just feel mm. like, I, I think that we're pursuing clarity. We're just trying to be consistent and clear, yes. deeply compassionate. Cause I think, you know, I had, I had a friend who just really helped me see how hurtful it would be to be in a community for a long time thinking they stand on one side of an issue and to find out after go. real bonds have been made. So I think ultimately it's an expression of love and kindness. I don't know that's always received like that at the front end, yeah. but I, I believe it in, in the right. ultimate sense. That's well said. Yeah, I, there is a huge thing to be said about 
just being being educated, being informed. You know, I, I, I recently, no, not recently, a while ago, uh, in one of my first engagements with a with a, uh, a same-sex marriage affirming author, I was just a delightful person. I loved knowing him, meeting him. And uh, though we disagreed, he he gave me great words for for the kinds of conversation that's most helpful. And like he was, he's like, I, I'd love to keep dialoguing with you, Evan, as long as the dialogue, especially the public facing dialogue aspect of it, remains humble, informed, pastoral, and helpful. Mm. And I think all four of those are really, really important. Humble, like for like, am I actually curious about? This person coming to me, am I curious why they believe what they believe? Am I curious about their pains and struggles? Or am I just like, I'm going to be clear with you? Because <laughs> um, you can be clear as day and not one ounce of humble curiosity is experienced mm. by you. <laughs> and yeah. and I, so you're absolutely right. Like, am I humble as evidenced by curiosity? Yeah. Um, like, am I really, am I really curious? Like, if you're really curious, then you really are willing to rethink your view. Like always, I really think that like all the way down to orthodoxy, like what would it, what would it take for me to change my view on the things that matter most to me? I, I need to be able to at least think about that. Hmm. Otherwise I'm not being honest. I'm not even, I'm not really curious. How do I expect anyone else to change their view if I'm 100% closed? So, um, I think that's important to communicate for me, humble, informed, like, you know, if I'm using language from the 1990s in a conversation about sexuality in 2023, I mean, that's a conversation ender, you know, Mm -hmm. um, so, and then pastoral and helpful flows out of being humble and informed, I think, mm. both curious and nuanced. And you're right. You can't just make a three-minute statement on the overturning of Roe versus Wade at church. Yeah. <laughs> you, you can't. Uh, we didn't. I, I did a 16-minute statement that was separate from the sermon that day, and it seemed to be helpful. People still had questions, and we said they'd have questions, and that is okay and 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 we're in this together because there's people here where where this Roe v. Wade thing is not an issue. It's their personhood, it's their experience and their trauma, mm. and they're and and they are us, you guys. They are us. They're not them. So so com- keeping that it, again, it goes back to if issues are all you see when you see the person. You've been co-opted by the branding of Babylon instead of the kingdom of Christ. Mm. And so how can we switch that? Where I see, I always see a person first, whether it's a transgender individual coming into my church seeking connection or someone with, you know, forgotten country, don't take my guns on their shirt. (laughs) You know, do I see the person or do I see the issue in that moment? Of course, issues matter absolutely issues matter but but once my view of the of the person is skewed because my heart is invested in right or left leaning media talk then i'm i'm branded by babylon i belong to babylon at that point my heart is not beating with christ 
uh, as much as Babylon. So I say, so yeah, that's that's ongoing rhetoric mm. we use at our church to like let's stay awake. That's why we went through Revelation. That's why Daryl Johnson, your 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 guy, was so <laughs> helpful for our church. DJ. Uh, from a distance as we went through revelation it's like things are more than they seem mm-hmm. things are more than they seem yeah one day we'll see an apocalypse we need an apocalypse we need to see jesus as he is mm-hmm. not the dragons or the beasts of our our, our cultural moments mm-hmm. even though they matter uh, so yeah so so important one more word on the subject i know last week you um got to speak to a group of mostly American pastors, but I think there's some Canadian pastors on there as well. And uh, you were asked to speak on this conviction of like courageous orthodoxy. What was some of the the heart of what you shared? Mm. Oh yeah. I mean, it was a 12 minute chat between me and Dave Lomas at Reality. And so we didn't get deep in any way. I, I even asked live, I'm like, wait, are we actually going into these topics right now? He's like, no, 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 let's just talk about how we approach them. Hmm. And um, and I said a lot of what I've already said in this podcast uh, uh, about permission permission to be clear as long as you're humble and curious. And what that looks like in our, I, I did get into what that looks like in our church. So when, when we do have our, our people coming to our leadership in our church, asking for, asking to be placed in community groups and commit to our church. We, we require them to go through our basics class where they hear everything about, you know, everything they could want to know. So there's no surprises. Hmm. And, um, and I just encourage the pastors to, to have, have that space where we say no question off limits, honest doubt, welcome. And we define, you know, honest doubt, and even dishonest doubt, like if if you're like, I'm I'm just over this and I'm mm. here, I don't even know why I'm giving church a last shot. That well, bring it. Like, absolutely. Let's let's figure out what your doubts are actually wanting. <laughs> like we're here for it. And I just said creating that space somewhere where someone doesn't feel where where, where people come not afraid of what happens mm. if they if they really say what they want to say, hmm. um, it, does that space exist somewhere in your church? Obviously, it can't happen every Sunday when you break the bread and drink the wine and then have people just complain. Uh, but there needs to be a space for complaining and lamenting and coming unhidden and coming out and um, confessing sins done to them, not just sins they've done. And uh, And so that's kind of the space we we create and that's what i told the pastors last week mm. um and and you know when we talked about orthodoxy orthodoxy is this is this core like what is what is the core least common denominator of what makes christianity christianity so i want to know what that is and uh and we want to we want to stick to that and the closer we get to that the more we realize how how many non-essential elements we may have held dearly that we can actually let go of in the spirit of unity. And so, so that's, that's what I encourage the pastors to think about. Hmm. Um, and, and, and how to, and not, and I didn't define what is in the core. I just said that we can know it. It can be known. Hmm. Um, and, ha- and two ways we know the core of Christianity, two ways. Number one, and I know what you're going to say, 
when I say this. I know what people think. Uh, it's number one is we can read the whole Bible. And and right away, people are like, yeah, but which Bible? And don't we know it's been translated different ways? Which, well, here's the good news. The Protestant Bible has 66 books. The Catholic and Eastern Bibles have more, but they all have those 66. <laughs> so it's really convenient for Protestants. <laughs> like, so, so we have that. But then the number two, the, the second way. So we have the Bible. The second way we can know the core. What is the core that we that we're courageously, compassionately committed to. How do we know the court? The second way, we we actually have the paper trail of the whole church for all of time hmm. reading the Bible. But we have we have the paper trail. Like we, we can go to the fourth century and, and see how Augustine read the same book open in your in your hands, Matthew. Hmm. Like we can see how the church has been reading and thinking about Jesus and God and uh, yes, and sexuality, but also greed and money. And we, we don't stand alone. We don't repaint everything about Christianity with every generation. We actually paint over hmm. what's already there. And, uh, and it's, it's, it's incredible. It's, and, and when you think about that, we actually have the paper trail and it's not just in one file cabinet in the Vatican somewhere. <laughs> it's like, in hundreds of cultures, in hundreds of dialects and languages, and the core is the same in all of them. Hmm. It's amazing. It's it's almost like there has to be a God. There has to be like a Holy Spirit who's who's speaking and moving and and honing the hearts of God's family onto this beautiful orthodoxy that the church has failed to live live in accordance with. And so while we as a church don't observe the core perfectly or live in accordance with the nature of Jesus perfectly, he is faithful. The spirit mm. of God is faithful to keep he's the prodigal he's the prodigal father. Anytime we come close to, to the village, the father's like, oh you want back. I'm running to bring you back. I know mm. you've been messing with other orthodoxies, <laughs> but like you're coming back. You're curious. You're humble. You're back. You want to be compassionate. You want to be clear. You want to like love people well. The Father makes up the difference, mm. and He brings us in, and that's that's the Spirit's work through all of history. And that's that's what I, in other words, told the leaders is, I don't know, like we're not the Good Shepherd. None of us are, mm. and so the job of holding the church together isn't isn't doesn't like the weight doesn't ultimately fall on us mm. um we will be judged for how unloving we are and how really disobedient we are to the good shepherd as individual shepherds but ultimately like this church is i mean not even the gates of hell can stand against it like jesus said she's beautiful and invincible and beloved and being washed every day by his own words and i'm like man if i can preach that to myself at 2 30 in the morning uh, my mental health is just going to go through the roof. I just need to learn how to do that. <laughs> so I want to open up another thread of conversation. So you're a beautiful singer, Evan. You're like, you're an incredible <laughs> worship leading song leader. It's just amazing. I love watching you uh, lead rooms of people in worship, the way you pull songs together, melodies and dynamic. And I am not that. I, 
I don't even sing happy birthday with my family, with my in-laws because they all harmonize and I can't for the life of me find my way through it. So I'm not that, but um, you mentioned Daryl. Daryl talks about the pastor as the worship leader, like mm -hmm. leading the worship service. And um, I'm not sure I fully understand that, but I think, I think it's true. You know, like, I think there's this idea that like pastor as worship leader, um, organizing, inviting the church into this, this, these worship acts um, goes beyond just singing. Um, and you're in a unique spot where you've spent a lot of your early ministry years primarily worship leading through music and song. And now mm -hmm. while you still do that, as a pastor, you are organizing the worship of the church, obviously with a team. I just would love your reflections on the role of the pastor as worship leader or worship coordinator, however you would word it. Mm. Oh man. Yeah. I mean, I already spoke of your worship leadership um, in the way that you're able to really oversee those transitions and create worlds with your words that are in line with the kingdom of God. You don't create the world. You point to the world that's already being created by the spirit. And, and you, you do that with your, with the way you frame a church plant and the way that you lead out of worship into an encounter moment with the spirit. And uh, I, I would, being a worship leader, I would say that's how you are one. And um, yeah, it's, it's profound. Again, the church is the space on earth that's hosting the presence of God. And that's what you're doing. You're like the ultimate host. It's like, I, I, my mind immediately goes to the Disney movie I grew up on, Beauty and the Beast and the candle guy who's like, be our guest. And, mm -hmm. and he's creating all these transitions for all these different things to happen in the room. Um, and you're, you're like piquing people's interest in the kingdom with, mm. with the way, the word choices you have that are obviously coming from a place of deep prayer. Um, and, and I, that's, that's how I would say it. That's what I want more of. Uh, and that's what I want our worship leaders to have more of because, mm. you know, you, we've all been in that and I'm not to be too negative, but we've all been in that worship environment where the worship leader just feels like a, they're just, they're just seeing the top 40. Um, and, and a, and a big why isn't being answered. Why are we here? Mm. What are we chasing after? And it's almost like the person just wanted to sing the best songs that he heard that week. And, uh, I know that's super negative, but the, the way that that's overcome is what you do every Sunday, Jason, as pastor of the way. And, it's what I, uh, what I try to stay aware of every time I lead at our church. I do think the pastor plays a huge role in the worship because worship is more than singing. Um, I, li I like to say right worship of the right thing leads to the right kind of life. And so when you're cultivating a way, you're cultivating a way of living life and you know why you're there, right worship of the right thing, like you identify Yahweh over all gods, you guys go, you guys go the full hundred yards. You go all the way in, in, in being thoroughly biblical, um, in, in how you talk about God. And that is, that's the orthodoxy thing. Uh, and, and then 
And then it leads to a certain ethic. It leads to us like, this is the rule of life we practice. This is how we steward our minds, our bodies, our influence, our power, our money. Uh, and that's all how the pastor is the worship leader, I think. Because mm. you create a framework with words and actions that gives people, oh, I get it. I, Oh, it's clicking. Oh, I'm coming alive. People use words like, oh, I... This church has meant so much to me. Like, I I finally understand Jesus. They use these sentences. But what they're trying to get at is that is that that, that outflow of the Trinity, that mm. where the Trinity creates a world to, to, to be with his human family and partner as image bearers, to then push back the dominion of darkness, and to fill the world with truth, beauty, and goodness in Jesus' name above all names. There are other names. God is the, Jesus is the name above all names because there's other names we could be serving, including our own, Satan, just to name two. And, and you're saying, no, worship is the right worship of the right thing leads to this way. Hmm. Let me throw one more uh, thing at you that I've observed you guys are working on. I saw you celebrating, you guys launched like a, a, like a, like a, a guided uh, journey for your church called Bread. Hmm. Mm. And uh, you guys did a beautiful job with it, but I'd love to know the heart, like what it is and then the heart behind it, because I think it's a really um, cool invitation for your community to, to gather in their daily rhythms around. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it was, again, born out of relationship. I like to tell our church, I don't know how to lead a church except in a community. So we have our elder community, but then I have you and the Sea Rock community. And that and bread came from that, came from my relationships with you guys, uh, you and specifically Pete Hughes, who came up with the acronym BREAD. I actually found out there's that BREAD is not, not only an acronym, it is an acronym. What does that mean? It, it's So an acronym is just a bunch of letters that stand for words. Right. So it could be like, you know, BYE means bring your ears or whatever. BYOB, bring your own beer. But uh, but that's not a word. An acronym is when the acronym is itself a word. Wow. I mean, <laughs> for people that made it this far into the interview, they're like, this is why, what I was waiting for. This was the moment no, I was waiting for. Yeah, just change the C to a P. An acronym is, so bread is obviously a word. Yeah. And, and, and so it, it, fills, it fills its own meaning. So the bread of life. The word is bread. So breathe, read, encounter, apply, devote is the mm. acronym of the year. <laughs> Come on. Um, and and it's Lectio Divina. It's, you know, an Ignatian way of reading the scriptures. And I'm sure older than that, people have been looking at the scriptures and saying, Holy Spirit, come through this verse. I know we're not supposed to read one verse and build a whole theology out of one verse out of context. And so we don't encourage that. But we do encourage within your knowledge of scripture now Let's hone in on one tree. So mm -hmm. you know the forest. Now yeah. let's hone in on one tree, um, and 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 ask the Lord, like God of all creation, who created the forest. And there's more knowledge than we know what to do with past this Bible. Like we'll know one day we'll experience God. But right now, you've given us the Bible as sufficient for knowing you. And right now, I have this one phrase: What would the Creator of the universe encounter me with through this one phrase? How how could it change the way I behave towards the people in my life today? Mm. And you just wait in stillness and you journal it and you write it down. You have a, a conversant life with the living God in that moment. So Lectio Divina, which is a very, you know, well-known and ancient way of reading, but the acronym kind of brings it to life for people. <laughs> and then practically it's like, 
if I understand it right, your church is on a shared reading plan and then has yeah. this resource that draws them into like a that's right. reflective. So to give, give me the whole that's, picture of that. That's right. Yeah. So we just started January 1st and we used um, the New Testament reading plan from the Bible Project, which includes several Psalms every Saturday, every Sabbath. Hmm. I know you're preaching on Sabbath soon. And it includes Psalms that point to New Testament allusions. But, but yeah, the whole New Testament will be prayed through, not just read through. Mm. Uh, in 2023. We're in Mark's gospel now, September. And um, and yeah, uh, our whole church is on the same page, literally mm. uh, praying through the same stuff. So on Sunday morning, we can, you know, I can allude to what people may have read. And, you know, it's funny when, when we stop talking about bread on Sundays, people will fall off the wagon. I'll be like, how many of you are still reading bread? And we haven't talked about it in six weeks. <laughs> and it'll be less hands. I'll be like, that's okay. It's perfect time to get back on the bread wagon because we're starting a new series. And they like the bread wagon metaphor. It's fun. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Try to be goofy. Try to be goofy. I bet. Uh, what's giving you most hope these days, man? What's filling your heart with hope and joy? Mm. Um, uh, preaching, uh, again, to myself, like, I have nothing to lose, nothing to prove. My life is Christ. Nothing else matters. Usually when I'm seated, this is something I'm working on in therapy as well. <laughs> my, my therapist is a godly guy. He's like, hey, what if what if you really had nothing to lose, nothing to prove? And, and what if you really believe that? Like, how? what, what would you do tomorrow morning? Um, mm. And uh, and yeah, so that that's on the personal side. But on the like outward facing side, I just, I just see my sons and their age group, like 21, 18, all the way down to 15, even 10. And just seeing their relationships with people outside the church. And, and I don't know, like there's not as much cognitive dissonance in, in them Hmm. as there is amongst people my age that I, that I see. This is just anecdotal, but I, I have so much hope when I see my sons in their workplace, they work at this ice cream shop in the in the heart of San Diego, urban San Diego, with with a a huge diversity of staff, <laughs> different ideologies, walks of life, um, expressions of sexuality, and 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 they just they're just a loving, smiling, confident presence. They can talk about Jesus when asked. They enjoy hearing other people's perspectives. They enjoy sharing their own perspective on Jesus. And they're just not, hmm. I don't know. I just have so much hope in the in the, in the the church of 10 years from now. Hearing my 15-year-old son talk about his friends, you know, who think that the Bible, like my son has one friend who thinks the Bible was written by a white racist dude somewhere. And, and my son's like, oh. Who, who, who's that white racist person you think wrote the Bible? He's like, Jesus. And then, uh, and my son's like, oh, but Jesus, you know, it wasn't white. He was like brown. And it was way before the construct of racism, but he was oppressed. Absolutely mm. was oppressed. And the guy's like, really? Wow, the more you know, I got to like read the Bible, I guess. And I'm like, it's such a normal relational conversation with someone with a wildly different come from. Mm. I'm like, I'm like, yes, like this, the spirit is alive and the word is active and 
and my sons are fearless and and uh and i just i just think we're going to be radically surprised mm. uh by by the by the movement of jesus i won't say jesus movement but uh by the movement of our of our savior in time mm. over the next 15 years so inwardly preaching the gospel myself and outwardly just looking at looking at young people and their relationships gives me so much hope mm. I love that, man. I'm so grateful for the time together today. You're very kind with your time and your heart. It means a lot that you spend this with us. Thanks, Evan, for taking the time to share with us today. We're grateful for your example as a disciple and leader, and we're praying for you, your family, and all that God's doing at Park Hill Church. Now, before we go, I want to say a special thank you to Nick Corbin for arranging and editing the interview, Jason for facilitating the conversation, and to Rachel Sousa and Will Lee for adding your voice and touch to this episode. The Canadian Church Leaders Podcast is one amongst a few things that we do at CCLN to strengthen pastors in Canada. These conversations, along with our gatherings, cohorts, and resources, are made possible by a generous community that believes that much can change in a church and in a place when the pastor gets healthier. If this mission of strengthening pastors is something that you feel your heart being moved to, we want to invite you to join our giving community at ccln.ca give, where you can make a one-time or regular donation. And for pastors who have already found our work at CCLN to be helpful, we want to invite you and your church to partner with us. You can find out more about what that looks like at ccln.ca slash churchpartners. Thanks for considering becoming a part of this community that's lifting up pastors across our nation. Well, that's it for me. Coming out of this conversation with Evan, we hope you experience a renewed courage to stand in places of contention with honesty, curiosity, and full of faith. God's peace to you as you go. Bye for now.